All right, good morning, y'all. So excited to be here. I feel like it's been so long. And I'm just grateful for this body of believers. If it's your first time being here, welcome. Welcome to First Baptist. We're so excited that you've uh, decided to worship with us this morning. And for those online uh, worshiping with us through iCampus, we're excited that you have joined us. Um, and I'm just excited to be here today. Uh, if it is your first time here, we do ask that you would open up your bulletin. And in your worship guide, there's a little blue connection card right at the bottom. Um, and if you would just take the time to, to fill out that basic information, um, there's some perforated edges. You just tear it right out, and at the end of the service, there will be a chance for you to put that in the offering plate or to hand it to the side. Um, and that way, um, we as the, uh, the leaders of this church will have the, the opportunity to meet you, uh, to know who you are, have some basic information. Um, and then at the, the end of this service, uh, we would love for you to meet our pastor and his wife uh, back in the front foyer. Um, and there's also a gift that we have for you, um, and it is a book written by our very own pastor as well. So if you would do that at the end of the service, we'd love uh, to shake your hand and get to know you a little bit. And for the rest of y'all, if you take that out and put, the, put your prayer requests at the back, uh, we pray for you guys and this body of believers and the specific prayer needs every week. And that is a privilege for us to be able to do that. Um, so again, we're just excited that you, you're here with us, uh, and would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Well, thank you for being who you are, Father. You are God above it all. I'm grateful that we serve a sovereign God who is not, all, uh, not only all-knowing, but also all-powerful. Father, you, you don't only pay attention to the, the minute details in our lives, the things that we need, the things that we desire, the things that we struggle with. Um, not only do you know them, but you care enough and love us enough to do something uh, about it, Father. And you are constantly calling out to us. So, Father, I just pray that you give us listening ears this morning. You give us hearts sensitive to your spirit, Father, that you would turn our eyes away from the things of the world and to you, Father, the only thing, the only one that matters. Be glorified in our hearts today. Stir our affections for you today. And thank you for, for your love, for loving us first. And we love you in response to your own love towards us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. And I ask you to go ahead and stand up and worship with us.
Church family, it's always a joy to begin a service singing praises to our Lord and then to be able to celebrate what God is doing in someone's life and the transformation that Christ has brought. And we have today coming to be baptized Misty Dickinson, and she is professing her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today through believer's baptism. Misty, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. God is so good. May we continue to worship and be blessed by his presence with us today.
Amen, church family. Isn't God good? You may be seated, and we just continue to worship the Lord today, focusing on who He is and what He's done and how much He loves us. Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? And that is the name that we proclaim to the world, and it's the name that we proclaim through everything that we do. And this morning, we want to celebrate one of the ministries that's been proclaiming the name of Christ over the last several weeks. Yesterday, we concluded our eighth year of Upward Basketball and Cheer. And that is a wonderful ministry. We had this year 224 basketball players and 29 cheerleaders for a total of 253 children involved in Upward Basketball and Cheer this year. We also had 54 basketball coaches and seven cheer coaches, so that totals 61 leaders, not counting many of you who volunteered uh, week in and week out to help that program take place. And so thank you for giving of your time to serve the Lord these past eight weeks. We also want to thank uh, those of you who use your talents for the Lord. And we want to particularly mention one person today. Uh, you may not think that a radio voice would be needed for a church upward basketball league. But, you know, we want to do things first class. So if you're here on a Saturday, you hear a booming radio voice announce the children and their teams as they run out with pumping music, and it's wonderful. And we've been getting that done for all eight years that we've been doing upward, and Frank Coe has been doing that for us. He has lent his voice to us. We know, Frank, that your voice is expensive if you charge people. Thank you for letting us use it for free. And so we wanted to give you a little gift today. We also want to make some recognitions this morning for some of our children who are graduating from Upward Basketball. They're sixth graders, and so this is it for them, unless they plug into leadership, which I hope they will do. But they've been in the program for many years, and of course, Upward is usually a family affair, and all of these families have been greatly invested in um, Upward. And so if you're one of these students that I call, would you come forward to the stage? Miss Kimberly has a gift that she wants to present to you. Uh, first, we have Drew Clancy who has been in our Upward program. He's coming down from the balcony for six years. His dad, George, has served as his coach almost every year. His brother, Ryan, has worked on the cleanup crew the past two years. And so it's wonderful to have had Drew uh, first through sixth grade, I guess, uh, being in an Upward. We also have Garrett Jackson, who's also been in the program for six years. And it's a family affair for them as well. Sister Megan and Dad Andy have been working on cleanup crew this year. His grandmother, Mary Randall, for many years has worked in the concession stand. She's worked in upward evaluation nights, which happened in the fall, and she has helped make sure the kids all get their uniforms each year. We also have Brady McCann, who also is graduating out after six years, and uh, he's been involved in playing hard. And his grandmother, Virginia McCann, has worked in the concession stand for many years and has worked on evaluation nights and has helped give out uniforms. And we also have then Jackson Stafford. Jackson is graduating out after seven years, and to date, Jackson holds the record for the most consecutive years in uh, Upward. And his dad, Logan, has served as a coach almost every year that Jackson has been in Upward basketball. So give these four guys a hand. 
for their participation, their family's participation. We like to see that longevity, and we like to see our kids pouring into that. And then there's one other one that's graduating out that we want to recognize today. It's not a sixth grader, but a senior in high school. Cody Roller, would you come up here on the platform, please? Uh, Cody uh, kind of missed upward. He was uh, a seventh grader when his younger brother Cameron started playing in upward. And Cameron helped his dad, Chris, coach his brother's team for two years. He has worked in the concession stand every year since. His mom, April, Chris, and then Cody have assumed the management of the concession stand uh, for the last four years. He has helped with evaluation nights. As far as we know, for all eight years we've been doing upward. He has been the t-shirt thrower on celebration night the past seven years. He'll get to do that again tonight. And... <laughs> your favorite thing, isn't it? Oh, you're working out? That's it. <laughs> and the most spiritual role he has played, I know you can see this in him, but he's been Jesus for I don't know how many halftime dramas. Sometimes Cody would ref the first half of a game, take off his refing shirt, put on his Jesus robe, go play Jesus, take off the Jesus robe, put on the ref shirt. So you can't fuss at that ref in that particular game. <laughs> But Cody has done a great job, and basically, if we needed anything, Cody has done it. And so, Cody, you've been a role model, and I want other students, you sixth graders, we want you to be involved. Come back, help, plug in, serve. You can do the kind of things that Cody's been doing. Uh, you've got six more years of junior high and high school, so you can plug in and do a lot of great work, because this is what it's all about is plugging in and serving the Lord in ministry and seeing lives transformed. We play for purpose. My favorite quote was from the first year of Upward when Gary Penton said, it looks like basketball, but it's really evangelism. And that's what it's all about. So give these students a round of applause. Thank you guys for your service. You'll want to join us tonight. The Upward presentation is going to be really fun. That's always a, a fun night together, so be sure to join us tonight. Today also begins our week of prayer for North American Missions and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. And the national goal for this year's offering is $70 million. We do a lot of mission work as Southern Baptists. And our church goal, part of that, what we've set aside for us to do is $17,000. 100% of what we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering is used to support Southern Baptist missionaries serving across the U.S. and in Canada. This offering is used to plant churches. It's used to strengthen churches in North America. It's used to provide disaster relief through Southern Baptist disaster relief and send relief. And as you prepare to pray and give this year, um, allow the Lord to guide you as to what you should give above your regular tithes and offerings to support North American missions. And as you prepare, let this video resonate in your heart. Sometimes people ask why. Why do we do this? When we came up here, I didn't feel capable. Because I was scared. 
Why do we take our families away from places that are familiar and move to places that are far off? My wife was nine months pregnant and we did not know one person who lived in the city. Why do we come to where there's nothing so we can try and start something? The Lord really just, he broke my heart for this city before I stepped off the plane. Why do we stress and strain and struggle and sweat just to make life better for someone else? There's so many people that are broken, that are lost, and it's heartbreaking. Yes, sometimes people ask why, and when they do, we tell them. There's places where the truth hasn't yet reached. We need to share the gospel and reach out our community. We tell them there's a God who loves them so much he sent us. God spoke to us, broke our hearts for the city, and God's call trumps all. And we tell them there are people who love them so much. They give so that we can go. When people give uh, to missions, things happen. New believers are getting baptized. New churches are studied. So when people ask why, that's what we tell them. We tell them it's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Can we pray together, please? Lord, for your grace, your love, and mercy, we stand amazed. Bless us as we go through this time that we gather in your house to hear the spoken word, but also to worship and praise you. Forgive us where we have failed you. Be with us as we go through the week so that we can always say we are not ashamed of the gospel so others can see Christ through us. Bless us now as we enter this time of offerings and gifts. Help these offerings be truly reflective of our love and dedication to you. In Christ's name, amen. Worship you. You are here. 
Great power this morning, and aren't you glad that he is the way maker? How many of you, that was weak. Yeah, that's all right, yeah. Aren't you glad he's the way maker? Yeah, kind of. Aren't you glad he's the way maker? How many of you can say he's made a way for you at some point in your life, in some way, he's worked a miracle, he's kept a promise, he's done those things that the lady sang about. I am glad that he is the way maker. He is the one who does the work among us. I'm so grateful that what God does in and through our church doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. It is Him working among us. What God does here depends upon what He does among us. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. You know, we can do the same stuff we do here anywhere, but if God doesn't show up, nothing's different. I was reminded of that last night. Uh, do you ever have weird dreams? Those of you who read my Facebook book devotional saw this this morning and I decided I needed to share it just as hopefully a reminder or a warning to you. Um, the last dream I had last night or early this morning was that I dreamt I was uh, preaching 
almost done with my sermon, just about half a page of notes left, and you all started getting up and walking out. Um, it started over here with this section, I just want you to know. And y'all started walking out, and then everybody else started walking out, and, and I was up here preaching, and, and there was just, I just finally stopped, and, and I thought, well, maybe I can get their attention by singing and asking the Lord to come in. So I sang the song, God Still Moves in the Hearts of His People, like as a cry, as a reminder, hey, come back, you know? You just kept walking out, and the song didn't do any good. I was left here by myself. I walked out to my office, and in my dream, I met Thomas and, and Rebecca, and I said, was it really that bad that everybody just walked out? You, you weren't mad looking. It was just like you had somewhere else better to be, somewhere you needed to go. We weren't over time. I can, in my dream, I looked at my watch. Like, what's going on? There's no football games going on. But as I thought about that, I, I, I guess I dreamt that because my mind was on preaching. I went to bed reading about preaching. I got up this morning to preach on preaching. And I just want to say, please don't walk out. <laughs> Herschel Co Corley commented on my Facebook post this morning. He said, I'm in the middle of the back row of the choir. I can't get out. So <laughs> uh, every Sunday all over the world, pastors do this thing we call preaching. Some perform their task under a tree to a handful of folks in a new work area, while others stand before hundreds or even thousands in modern facilities. Some wear robes, others wear suits, while still others wear skinny jeans or track suits. But they all, we all, are doing the same thing. We're preaching the Word of God. What is this thing that preachers do. What is it all about? Now I want you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah 61. We're continuing this series, First Words, Seeing God's Word for the First Time. And in this series, we've been looking at the first time certain words appear in Scripture and learning some things about them as we do. And today, you may have guessed it, the word is preach. My call to preach came the summer before my senior year of high school, but my love of preaching really developed in the next several years. Uh, not long after my call, just a few months in fact, uh, Brother Wayne Jenkins came to our church at First Baptist LeCount as our interim pastor. And I fell in love with Brother Wayne's preaching from the start. God was doing a new work in my life, and I listened to Brother Wayne with a, a new attention probably, but he preached with conviction, he preached with passion, and Brother Wayne's well-placed humor, Miss Martha, and I listened to every word as a high school senior. And then after Brother Wayne finished his time as our interim pastor, uh, Brother Rick, went, Rick Henson was called to pastor our church. And Brother Rick uh, had a creative and a personal style unlike I had ever heard. And as I listened to Brother Wayne and then Brother Rick, I remember wondering, do they teach you how to preach in seminary? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, they do. If you have a good professor in preaching, which most of them do, when I stepped into Principles of Biblical Preaching with Dr. Grant Lovejoy in my second year of seminary, I had no idea what I was getting into. I wondered, why in the world does preaching class meet three days a week? It's just preaching. How much is there to talk about? 
But as that class went on, as the semester went, and we probed deep into the task of preaching, my notebook filled up, and my interest in preaching grew, and I was opened to this whole new field I learned was called homiletics. What a fancy term. And so I decided I was going to pursue a Ph.D. in preaching. And so to prepare, I began taking every elective available that fit my schedule on preaching. And Dr. Al Faisal, the longtime professor of preaching at Southwestern, was my main professor through most of those electives. And when people would ask, why are you doing a Ph.D. in preaching? Why not New Testament or Old Testament or theology? I knew what they were saying are you not smart enough to do a real Ph.D.? <laughs> and my professors helped me with that because they didn't like that attitude. But my answer was, because preaching pulls it all together. I didn't want to go down to some wormhole looking at just one word that Paul used in Ephesians or up into some ivory tower using three words that no one but me and my colleagues knew about. I wanted to pull everything together. The New Testament, the Old Testament, the preaching, the evangelism, the theology, the church history, and pour it into the task to which I was called, which was preaching. Now, you may be wondering why I'm preaching on preaching today. You're like, this isn't a pastor's conference, Stuart. Well, here's why. Because you need to make sure that I and any preacher who supplies for me and any pastor who comes after me is committed to the centrality of preaching in the life of the church. And if it's not said, then you won't be trained in it and you won't do that and make sure that happens. Hold my feet to the fire. Hold anybody else's feet to the fire. If the centrality of preaching ever wanes, I give you permission to walk out. Please walk out. Because preaching is the central task of our church. There was a little boy who came up to the preacher after the service and he said, when I get older, I'm going to give you some money. And the preacher said, well, son, that's nice. Why are you going to do that? And he said, well, my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. <laughs> we certainly want to avoid that now and in the years to come. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 61. And, and I put more verses on the original plan, but I just want to look at verses 1 through 3 today. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oh, it's a powerfully rich passage, especially if you read on through the rest of that chapter as Isaiah is predicting something that's going to come in the future. And, and what he was predicting did, in fact, come a few decades after him. It was historically fulfilled in Israel's return from the exile and in her spiritual influence ever since. 
And that was good news. Isaiah was prophesying to a people who were uh, going into captivity that one day they were going to come out. And one day they were going to be free and they would return to the land that they so loved. But this prophecy also reached far beyond Isaiah's day. Because this prophecy not only looked decades into the future to the end of the exile, but it looked centuries into the future to the coming of the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, who would preach and proclaim this good news. And his church that would follow him and proclaim that same good news. If when I read that this text of Isaiah sounds familiar, it's because you're probably more familiar with the story from the New Testament where Jesus used this particular passage from Isaiah to preach in the synagogue in Nazareth. He pulled out that scroll. It was the reading for the day. He read that. He rolled up the scroll. Jesus handed it to the attendant. He sat down. Every eye was on him. And then he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In Isaiah 61, the prophet was prophesying about the coming servant of the Lord, the Messiah. And in Luke 4, Jesus was saying he was the one for whom they had been waiting. I spent several weeks preaching on the gospel text of this prophecy in a Christmas series a couple of years ago. So I don't want to go deep into that today. Instead, I've been led to talk about this task of preaching Because both the content and the scope of preaching are addressed in this passage. Preaching has always been a task of the people of God. If you go back to the Old Testament, the prophets of old certainly preached. Their voices heralded forth to people, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes it was a word of rebuke. Sometimes the Lord was sharing instruction. Sometimes the Lord was sharing encouragement and hope. But it was thus saith the Lord. Since the days of Jesus though, preaching has been the central task of the church and the primary task of the preacher. Jesus himself went about preaching. Mark's statement of the Great Commission in his particular gospel, the way he states the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation in Mark 16 verse 15. Therefore, the apostles went out preaching. It started with Peter on the day of Pentecost when he stood up in Jerusalem with all of those people from all over the world coming into Jerusalem for that particular feast on that particular day. And Peter shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people were saved. It continued as those people spread out and as the apostles spread out and even as one former uh, persecutor of Christianity, the apostle Paul, was converted and soon immediately after the scales fell from his eyes after being blinded and he had met with Ananias Paul went out and began to preach that Jesus is the son of God and as that preaching went forth lives were transformed churches were planted and then a little later churches were strengthened as other churches became planted and strengthened and ever since the day of the apostles preaching has been the central task of the church One preacher of old even said, with its preaching, Christianity rises and falls. And certainly if you look at a history of the church, you see that. When the church in general or the church universal was 
preaching properly, holding forth the word of God, exposing the text to the people, the church universal was strong and healthy. And the same has gone for local churches. When local churches have preached the word of God correctly, the church has been strengthened and healthy and grown. And when it hasn't been preached rightly, those churches have declined and even shuttered their doors. Charles Spurgeon wrote, The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. That must be why John R.W. Stott begins his seminal textbook on preaching between two worlds saying, Preaching is indispensable to Christianity. It's indispensable. We Baptists construct our buildings to show the prominence of the preached word. You go in another denomination, there's an altar in the middle, and the pulpit is to the side. But we don't have that. We have the word centered at the church. Even in churches that don't have a physical pulpit, the word is central. And that is what we focus on. I want you to take a moment to look at our pulpit, because I don't think I've ever talked about it, but it is a, uh, you, can't, you can't order this pulpit out of a church supply catalog. This is one of a kind. It was uniquely designed by Doug Ash and his colleagues at uh, Ash Broussard and Winesettle back in the late 1980s when this building was renovated the first time. And it is full of reminders of the central task of preaching. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons I love this pulpit. You'll notice that whatever way you look at this pulpit, you see a cross. There's a cross front and center. There's a cross on either side, and the crosses are highlighted. They are, um, the, the, the main pulpit is mahogany. There's a blue cottonwood that's highlighting then the maple cross. So it stands out, and it's a reminder to both the congregation and the preacher that we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, us and both Jews and Greeks, the power of God unto salvation. It is the wisdom of God. The preached word is powerful. Also, the pulpit is open, so there's no barrier between the congregation and the preacher but it had to be built to have some substance because this place is so big. But the old pulpit was a wall between the preacher and the congregation. And we have it in a closet back there if you want to look at it. It's never coming out. It's just there. It was a wall. And this is open to say there's not a separation because the preacher comes from the people to present the word of God. But then one of the neatest things about it is the way that the, the top, uh, almost where, where the scripture is, is almost floating and it's elevated. When you look at the pulpit, your eye goes to right here. You can't help it. That's because architects designed it and they know sight lines. But it's right here. You go to the cross and you go to the elevated word. And you cannot miss that. I love how Dr. Larry Baker, who was pastor when this pulpit design wrote this, he said, the word is elevated above the other parts of the pulpit and it's highlighted by the angles of the wood and the black tone of the supporting metal. When one looks at this pulpit, the eyes are drawn to the surface on which the Bible rests and the cross in whose presence it is preached. Preaching is central. And we are physically reminded of that. Every single week. This passage in Isaiah, uh, which was a prophecy of Christ and which was also fulfilled in Christ, is also to be lived 
out by each of us collectively through our support of the preaching ministry of the church and through our application of what we hear into our own lives every day as we live that out in the world. And so let's consider for a moment this morning how this passage reminds us of both the content and the scope of preaching. The content of preaching is good news. A pastor had had a bad week, and so he showed up on Sunday very frustrated with his congregation, and he, he, his sermon was basically one point. This whole church is going to hell unless you repent. And when he said that, there was a guy towards the back that started laughing. And so he said his point even louder. Unless you repent, this whole church is going to hell. And the guy just laughed louder. And so the preacher left the platform and went down and looked at the man and said, What's your problem, man? He said, I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> it's good news to him. <laughs> the content of our preaching is always good news. Depending on your translation, the word preach comes, uh, occurs for the first time in the Bible in Isaiah 61. And I, I say depending on your translation because... Uh, there are multiple words in both the Old and New Testaments that we translate, preach, or can translate, preach, or proclaim. And so it depends on your translation how the word is conveyed. There are at least 10 words uh, translated preach in the Old Testament or something like it to the task of preaching and about 24 or more in the New Testament. And those words range in nuance from herald to witness to dialogue to uh, evangelize to a host of other kind of ideas, but all of which are done in preaching. Here in Isaiah 61, we have two of the Old Testament words. The one we come to first in verse 1 is probably translated preach in your copy. And that is the Hebrew word basar. And it means to announce glad tidings or preach good news. The second word is found in the second part of verse 1. And again in verse 2, the word proclaim perhaps in your scripture. It's the Hebrew word kara, which means to announce something Formally, or to proclaim, much as one would uh, share a proclamation from the king. And so both words capture uh, the idea that there is a message to be shared with people, but that message is good news, and that message is from a supreme authority. And so this good news is from an authority, and this good news has authority. And that good news is the gospel that carries the authority of the Lord himself. The king of kings has good news to share. Whatever our message, it is good news. Now, sure, we know messages on salvation and heaven and hope are good news. But so is a message on hell good news because Jesus offers heaven. A message that calls people to repent from sin is good news because Jesus offers forgiveness. Whatever we preach is good news. Every word in the Bible is good news if you heed the word and you live according to the word. Therefore, our preaching is filled with good news. And good news brings life. Don't you get filled up when you hear something good and that's what the Bible does. The classic preaching text, Steps to the Sermon, says the ultimate objective of preaching is to bring life to people. 
And in another text that I, I read, David Prince writes, humanity lives in the context of a battle of sermons. This is interesting. The Bible begins with the divine king of the universe proclaiming his word, but another voice intrudes and clashes with it. The appearance of the serpent contradicting God's word with his own proclamation is the first example of spiritual warfare in Scripture. From the creation of the cosmos, kingdom warfare has been a conflict over the word of God. And that conflict is over where does real life come from? Does real life come from Jesus and the kingdom of God? Or does real life come from Satan and the kingdom of this world? Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. This word life embraces two parts of life, today and tomorrow, the temporal and the eternal. Jesus came that we might have abundant life today and eternal life tomorrow. Yes, we need to be saved so that we know where our eternal destiny is and that we can have our, our hopes secure for heaven. But we need to also be saved so that we find out why in the world we're on this planet. Because God has a purpose for us. And until you're saved and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and he's God in your life, you don't know why you're here. And you may spend your whole life pursuing something that is not even your purpose. That's why you're so frustrated. That's why you're so unfulfilled. Because until Jesus comes into your life, you don't have that purpose. But when he saves you, he comes in, gives you that purpose, and he gives you abundant life now and eternal life forever. Folks, that's good news. That is the life that he wants to share with us. Now, some news is relative. I'll, I'll give you that. If, if we had a big announcement that there was going to be some major plant with 3,000 jobs moving to Lafayette, we'd be like, well, great for Lafayette, but that doesn't do anything for us in central Louisiana. That news would be relative. But the news of the gospel is not relative. The good news of the gospel is really for everyone. And that leads us to the scope of preaching, which is that it is for all people. Uh, there was a pastor who decided in the little update in their church, he was going to put um, the, hair, the air dryer, hand air dryers in their bathrooms and the restroom. So he got those in there and, and uh, you know, it wanted to cut down on waste and that kind of thing. They worked pretty good. People kind of like being able to go in there and just warm their hands, especially when the boiler wasn't working at church like today. And it was kind of nice. And uh, they were able to warm up their hands. And, but then after a couple of weeks, the pastor took them back out and put the paper towels up because he went in there one day to use the restroom himself. And on the hand dryer, it said, if you want a sample of today's sermon, push the button. Just a bunch of hot air. Probably some smart aleck deacon did that, I'm sure. But <laughs> we don't want to just be offering hot air. That doesn't apply because the good news is for all people. It's for everybody. In, in many congregations just like ours, there are varying ages. There are socio, different socioeconomic levels. There are different life situations. There's different interests. Preaching is for all those people and all the people still to come. And all the people we may not even know who hear what we say. You know, a new door has been opened to us through our live streaming. We don't know who 
might watch that message, when they might watch it, or where they might watch it. And I'm kind of aware of that as I preach now each Sunday. They could look at this 10 years from now and see something that speaks to their life. Preaching is for all people, no matter where they are, no matter what they're going through. And Isaiah makes clear that preaching is for all people. You just look at all the different kinds of people, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoners, those who mourn, those who grieve. Those are real life situations that need the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're all situations in which we find ourselves, aren't they? Uh, we may not be in destitute poverty, but there are times when we don't have enough. And we need to trust the Lord, and we need some good news. Uh, we will all have our hearts broken. We will all mourn over a loss that happens in our lives. And in many ways, we will all even be imprisoned at some point in our life or held captive. Maybe not behind bars, but by fear or worry or addiction or oppression or other sin. And we need to be set free from that because, friends, the preaching is for all people because all people need good news. In that preaching class, I learned of six major objectives for sermons. And they, based, they were based on the six basic needs of people. And, and the objective is driven by the text, but it helps us to remember that people have a lot of different needs. There are those people who need to be saved. They need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So there is the evangelistic objective of preaching. There are those who need to grow in their devotion with the Lord, who are saved, but they need to be closer to him relationally. And so there's the devotional objective of some preaching. Sometimes we need to grow in how, uh, in what God's word says, in the theology of the text, in the background, in the understanding of what God is getting across. And there needs to be a doctrinal theme and objective to the message. Other times when we start to see what God has told us, that doesn't necessarily align with how we're living our lives or how culture is living their lives. And so in those times we speak an ethical objective into the message and the direction of the sermon. There are other times where people need to be called to serve God out of, out of great adoration of him and to step forward in ministry. And that is a consecrative kind of objective. And then there are those who simply need a touch to get them through a time. They need support. They need encouragement. They need uh, something else because they're broken or troubled or facing hurt. And that's when a supportive objective comes in. Six needs of people, six objectives in preaching, evangelistic, devotional, doctrinal, ethical, uh, consecrative, and supportive. And all of them addressing the wide variety of needs that's represented in any given congregation. So that reminds us that not only is God's word authoritative, not only is it true, but friends, it's sufficient. It's sufficient for anything that comes our way, any problem that comes our way, God's word has the answer. And if you don't think it does, you're just not listening to it. You don't want to listen to it. But God's word is sufficient. It is good news. It is from the one who knows us best. His authority is unrivaled. His knowledge of our lives is unmatched. He has given us his word to preach so his good news will be spread throughout the world. The good news says you don't have to be burdened and beaten down. You don't have to be enslaved and oppressed. You don't have to be lost and wandering. You don't have to be full of sorrow. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be scared. You can be lifted up. You can be set free. You can 
can be saved and you can be filled with joy from the good news of God's word. God fills us up. Good news that must be preached with every person in every situation, with every need in every place. Aren't you glad that that's what we as believers are called to do? Aren't you glad that this is the central task of the church? Aren't you glad that it's the central class of the preacher? Front and center preaching is good news for all people. Friends, this thing called preaching that I do, this thing we all believe in, this thing that you do when you speak for God in situations that you run into, it's a holy and it's a powerful thing. And God uses it to bring about transformation. I love how verse 3 ends where it says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Wow. What a glorious vision for the people of God. Oaks stand for generations. Oaks can go through all kinds of storms and seasons of change and drastic changes in the circumstances around them. And God is saying the poor will become an oak. The brokenhearted will become an oak. The prisoner will become an oak. The mourner will become an oak. And all of it will be for the display of God's splendor. And everyone will say, Look at the difference God's good news made in them. And then they can say, look at the difference God's good news has made in me. Friends, it's good news for all people. It's what we have and it's what we share. Hold it to the fire and don't walk out. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this task that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that we would take this to heart. Lord, me as a reminder of my task, but also our congregation as they need to hold me to the fire. Hold me and any person who stands behind this in any pulpit, holding them close to the central task of preaching. Lord, may we believe in the power of your word, not just that it's true, but also that it's sufficient to meet any need in our lives and to bring transformation to anything that we have. And so, Lord, as we go into this time of invitation, I pray for those who need transformation today. Lord, I pray for those who need transformation of their lives from sin and to Christ. Lord, I pray for salvation in their lives. I pray that they might be saved, that they might have their eternity secure, and they might start uh, experiencing abundant life right here, right now. Lord, I pray for those who are burdened by something. Lord, maybe they feel captive by something that's taken control of their, of their life. Lord, I pray that the oppression would end, that they would be set free from anything that's hindering them and that they would be able to break free of that through the power of your Holy Spirit and they would become an oak of righteousness. Lord, we have declared the power of your name today. We have declared the power of your good news. And so, Lord, now we apply those to our lives and we ask, God, that you would bring about that transformation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.